I'm Rick Cushman, and this episode of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul is sponsored by the 2019 Vancouver International Wine Festival. The festival invites you to come visit one of the world's most beautiful cities and have a great time at one of the world's best wine festivals. It is a great festival, the largest in North America. It goes from February 23rd to March 3rd, has loads of dinners, big walk-around tastings, lunches, brunches, tutored seminars. Well, wait, wait, wait. For a couple of folks out there, you might want to know, Paul, because Paul's going to be leading some of those seminars. Well, and even worse, Rick's going to be roaming around the festival. But you can still have a, a good time, especially because it'll be easy to avoid us. Uh, you should have seen how many people avoided us this year. <laughs> yeah. So here are just a few reasons to go. Let's restate outstanding wine from 16 countries, winemakers and principals from all 160 wineries and all those tastings and dinners and some of Vancouver's best restaurants where we were last year, uh, Paul. Vancouver is a world-class food town. Uh, the places we ate, spectacular. Even when I was eating dinner with Rick, the food was great. Yeah, yeah. I noticed the way you tried to not look at me, and, and I can understand that. I actually could, yeah. <laughs> Rick, not just me, everybody in the restaurant. <laughs> that explains a lot. Well, and if you're not with me, the festival makes it really, really easy for you to eat and drink and get tickets and book hotels. The best way to book, though, is through Stay Vancouver Hotels. Plus, they have a pretty outstanding offer. Book a downtown hotel, and there are 35 of them, and uh, through Stay Vancouver and uh, Stay Vancouver Hotels, excuse me, and you get a free ticket to any of those four huge international festival tastings during the middle of it, which is worth about a hundred dollars. Yep. Uh, and then that uh, that offer is available through uh, February 14th. So. Stay Vancouver, 35 hotels. The odds are pretty small that you'll be in the same hotel as Rick. I do snore. It's true. Uh, so, by the way, the, uh, the 160 wineries pouring, there's going to be some special stations, too. Uh, they got from sp- stations from Vancouver. From, I'll get it out. The, from British Columbia, uh, yep. from New Zealand, from South Africa, from Spain, from Washington State, Nova Scotia, British Columbia, uh, and the Okanagan Valley. Okanagan Valley. Yeah, that's the place. And yep. actually, it is really is the wines there that you'll taste from Okanagan. You'll love them. They really yes. are great. Although the focus this year... California. California. Paul, why go to Vancouver to taste California wines? Because the Canadians are really nice, and so are the other wines up there. So it's a great festival. Yeah, when they pour it, wine tastes better. It really does. Uh, they were nice to us last year. I mean, that's how Go nice figure. they are. Yeah. Even to us. Yeah. So, all right. So come there. Discover outstanding wine, food, in one of the world's great cities. Listen to Paul. Or, or even, even better, just hang out with me in the back of the room and we'll make fun of Paul. There you go. That's the Vancouver International Wine Festival, February 23rd to March 3rd. 23rd to March 3rd. And details are on schedules and all that stuff is on vanwinefest.com. That's .ca. I'm sorry. It's Canada. Yes, Vanwinefest.ca. Or just Google Vancouver Wine Festival. You'll find it. Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, I know you love those wine magazine tasting nuts. Rick, I, I sense a little sarcasm here since we spend most of this show making fun of those notes. Oh, right you are, my friend. Um, so today is going to be Paul's fun day with wine tasting notes. <laughs> this does not sound good. Oh, you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's going to happen is I'm going to read you descriptions of similar wines from the same critic, and you get to guess which one got a higher point rating. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, boy. Exactly. Yeah, that will be fun. Okay, It's going to be great. Also today, <laughs> also today, listeners ask about barrel tastings and steel tanks, yep. and one person tells a story of confusion. They've been listening to our show. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> our whole wine writing is very questionable, and uh, we have another things we love. Cool. Plus, plus, as usual, we'll be making fun of wine snobs. Yes, we will. 
And we are yet still, as a reminder, on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup, Paul. Yes, right right next to the big names that are famous internationally. That's NPR, folks. They should know better. Napa Broadcasting is also where we can be found, and that comes out of Napa Valley College. Napa Valley College, an institution of higher learning, accredited accredited. by the state of California. And yet there we are. And yet there we are. I'm telling you. All right, and don't forget, uh, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. Uh, go there, ask us a question, or you know, send us a very nice comment. That's right. Um, and look for us in iTunes. You can review us in iTunes and say really good things about us. This Red is, wine glass emoji. That's yes, what I'm pulling uh, for. I, I say say good things. This is not an honesty test. Uh, so <laughs> just so you know. All right. Good. So before we get into the descriptions, uh, it seems <laughs> right time to uh, bring back something we had talked about a while ago, which was uh, a study published in the Journal of Wine Economics. This was one even you liked, Paul. Yes. Yes. So, well, he's a good guy. Uh, so researchers, researchers gave – yes, he is. And that, that is a good – actually, it's a good publication to read for people who are interested in things about wine. But researchers gave amateur drinkers two different wines from Bordeaux. Uh, along with a professional critic's tasting notes describing those wines. Mm-hmm. The people were asked to match each review with the wine, with the correct wine after tasting the wine. So they yeah. tasted the wine, read the review. They got exactly the same number of right answers as if they had done it with a flip of a coin. That's how you and I do. <laughs> I flip coins? <laughs> well, we're random. Yes. Uh, the, so the descriptions were? Useless. Perfect. Yes. We've been saying that for years, Rick. Well, now we're going to prove it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's okay. our game. Each set of wine descriptions is from the same writer. Okay. Most of the wines got widely different scores. We're not talking a point or two. Okay, good. Um, and uh, these are mostly from the biggest wine magazines in America. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. But along with bad wine writers, they have good lawyers. Yes, they do. So we won't name them. Okay. Um, but you can guess who they would be. Um, most people could figure out just from knowing what the magazines are, right? Uh, I'm saying no, so we have a defense. Our defense is going to be stupidity. Our best trait. It's true. Our most common, for sure. <laughs> All right, Paul. Okay. So uh, you're, here we go. This is The first one is the Cabernet. I can tell right. you that. All right. Okay. So description one is the wine has a deep well of black fruit flavors with a smooth texture and slightly tannic backbone. Blackberry, cherry, and a touch of black pepper, pepper flood the palate. This is softly balanced and easy to enjoy. Okay. And the, Sounds good. I think I'd like a glass. The other one is this is dense and almost impenetrable now, though imbued with copious blackberry and blackcurrant fruit. Supple, firmly structured, and balanced. This ends with blackcurrant and tobacco notes. So here's the funny part, Rick. I think that the second description does not sound as attractive as the first one. Yes. But the first one is more expensive because they use bigger words. Ah, well, it turns out the first one got 86 points. Yeah. And, and the second one? 93. I'm right. So you said the second one's more expensive because it got nine. The second words. one used yes. more complicated words. Yes. It wasn't, you it know, didn't make the wine sound more delicious. You know, In had, fact, it made the wine sound less delicious. Absolutely. But when I look at impenetrable, imbued, copious, I think that those are, those are, those are 50 cent words. Okay, Those aren't a, a nickel word. How does a wine with a deep well of black fruit, softly balanced and easy to enjoy, only get a 96? Well, easy to enjoy. That's the There's problem. There's the problem. There is the problem. And, if it were, a, if it were, um, if it were supple, firmly structured and balanced, then you might yeah. get, but yeah. no, easy to enjoy. Well, you're not going to get high points with a wine yeah. that's easy to enjoy. Yeah. You know, and you, um, you, uh, you hit, you may, you may ace this test because, um, 
these uh, we did it. Remember, we there's a guy from like Harvard who had did that thing where he was comparing them, and, right? And it was he was dead on. So these are the same. Each one of these is okay. The I'm just going to go by the number of syllables yeah. in each word, well, and whichever one has more syllables, right. that's the expensive one. All right, so or the, the higher rated. This next one, one is two white wines. Okay. Number one is linear, medium-bodied white with mouth-watering acidity and a touch of grapefruit zest and the finely knit flavors of melon, starfruit, ground ginger, minerally stone, and smoke <laughs> that echo on the finish. Minerally stone. Is this is this part of our bad wine writing? It right? is. This is totally our bad wine writing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and the second one is supple and graceful, tender pears and lush stone fruit flavors are at the core of this sturdy, charming wine okay. as the fruit is rich and layered and there's plenty of backbone. Okay. So I'm going with number one is higher scoring than number two. And, and what was your cue? Uh, sturdy and charming. Charming, right. Because charming is like something charming, we would all like. Charming is like the girl with personality. So wine number two, which got all those great words, is an 88. Right. And wine number one is linear, and uh, but it does have mouth-wearing acidity, 93. Yeah. Yeah, but it has minerally stone. That's a huge in in this range. I mean, you know, given minerally what these are, that's stone. that's between a, a huge acclaim. You know, and I think a, so, minerally so. stone is better than animally stone, or vegetably stone. I think minerally stone is really the kind of stone you want to have. It is without a doubt, unless it's crushed minerally stone. <laughs> All right, here's another one. This okay, so far, hey, so far the, I'm doing great. These are similar whites. <clears throat> okay. Sense of crushed peaches, warm pears, and guava with hints of honeycomb and baking bread. Medium-bodied, finely knit, zippy, and refreshing in the mouth. It finishes long and toasty. Or a fresh white wine, light to medium-bodied and creamy with a minerally underpinning and subtle mesh of poached pear, spring forest, grated ginger flavors showing a rich hint of pastry cream. Okay. I'm going with number two as having the higher score. And what was your cue? Um... Uh, the subtle mesh of poached pear. Yeah, there you go. So n- wine number one with has... Uh, it's zippy and refreshing. Medium body, finely <clears throat> knit, zippy and refreshing. Uh, um, finishes long and toasty. Sounds delicious. Right, 87. Yeah. The other one, 92. Yeah. Well, because right. it had a subtle mesh of poached pear. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Next next up, two sparkles. Oh, it also had underpinning. 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 You never get that in an 87 point. No, that's totally you gotta, true. Yeah. You've got to go up to 93, 94 yeah. points to get your underpinning. At least. Yeah. How's your underpinning doing, by the way? <clears throat> it's finely knit. This is too easy. <laughs> yeah. These are two sparklings. Okay. All right. Beautiful, pale, salmon-pink colored. The non-vintage Brut Rosé is scented of raspberry leaves, red currants, and Bing cherries with a waft of baking bread. Mm. The palate is very fine and elegant with a great intensity of red berry flavors finishing on a spiced apple notes. Cool. Or, the cuvee opens with a wonderfully toasty nose over a core of ripe apples, spice pears, and lemon curd. Mm-hmm. The palate is refreshing and clean with frisky bubbles and a pleasantly spicy finish. That's the lower scoring wine. Yes, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. That one got an 87. Yeah. The other one got an 88. <laughs> so these are like, I hate these wines, but they sure sound good. Yeah. So this is this gets back to our point. Yep. Frisky bubbles. Yeah. Frisky bubbles. Well, but you know those bubbles; those are the ones that are handsy, really. Really, you yes. just want you. You, you kind all, of do you put you them got, in your mouth? You got to keep an eye on them. Those <laughs> they are; they're all open. So, I mean, this is we are building our case for dear God. How do you get help from these people? Because those are, those two wines sound like I should be drinking. them. Both of them, they probably are. Well, I, who knows? They're, because they're yeah. point scores, but the point scores are in the bad to not good at all right. range. And uh, right, right. 
Yep. All right. Okay, uh, you we, got another combo. I got another combo. Uh, okay. we, I think I, we got time for two more. Oh, yeah, let's see. All right. Well, well, here's one. I'm having fun. All right. Um, these are both Pinot Noirs. Uh, pale ruby color, pale ruby, pale ruby purple in color. We we just need to keep talking about how they keep keep doing that because is they it's a name red a wine. color. It's a red wine. Well, they say a color and then they say in color. It's a color. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a red color. It's yes, pale ruby purple. <laughs> is ruby purple anyway um, mm-hmm. in color the 2015 Pinot Noir is beautifully scented of red cherries and mulberries with a waft of florals medium bodied finely knit and fresh in the mouth with a soft texture delivers a good amount of red berry bed, uh, a good amount of red berry flavor and nice harmony okay good another one pale to medium ruby purple in color again the 2015 Pinot Noir has a very pretty perfume of star anise, cinnamon stick, and red roses over a core of red currant jelly, red cherries, forest floor, plus a waft of truffles. Medium bodied, the palate reveals a fine frame of silky tannins and seamless freshness, supporting the delicate fruit layers, finishing long and minerally. Okay, so the second one is, is a higher rated wine. And what makes you think that? Because it has a waft. It wafts. A waft of truffles, that's that's a, another 50-cent word. And yep. the other thing is that um, it finishes long and minerally, whereas the other one has nice harmony. Nice nice is a low-point word. But <laughs> but um, delicate fruit flavors and waft of truffles, that's a high point. Those, yeah. are, those are the this, high points. So, so, so uh, it's the waft. Wine really. num- you, you're right on again, and it's 92. Um, so wine number one, let, let me read you a couple of phrases from that. Beautifully scented. Yes. Um, a waft of florals. It has a waft of florals, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. in the ball gun. It's in the Finely ball. knit and fresh in the mouth with a yep. soft texture, delivers a good amount of red berry flavor. Yeah, but see, good amount of red berry flavor. Good amount of red berry flavor, that's, that's not really enthusiastic. What, what do you think the score was? 86. 85. Ooh! 85 is don't even pour this down the drain. Yeah, no, this is don't buy this wine. Yeah. Because remember that, for example, for most of these magazines, somewhere between five and 10,000 wines a year get 90 points or higher. And getting an 85 is you didn't make the team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got one more. I got wafted truffles on my mind. Yeah, well, you're, yeah, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna like this last one. All right, okay. All right. All right. So uh, wine number um, two. Deep garnet purple colored. Uh, this is the same writer as previously because this writer likes saying colored when they say colored. <laughs> so deep garnet purple color. The wine comes, from, comes bounding out of the glass with oh notes God. of raspberry pie, blackberry preserves, and fruitcake with touches of hoisin and Chinese five spice. Plus, uh, these are red blends, by the way. Yep. So I, five spice plus a waft uh, of underbush. This guy's got waft on the mind. Waft of underbrush. Yes. Yes, apparently. Right. Full-bodied, rich and spicy in the mouth. It packs It packs in the black fruit preserves framed by chewy tannins and finishing on a savory note. Now, okay. here's, here's the other red blend. Yep. Uh, medium garnet purple colored. This wine leaps from the glass. So let me draw you the car- contrast. I'm just going to say right now, the, se- the first the first one you read bounded out of the glass, and this one leaps. leaps. Yeah. And bounding is a it's a higher point word. Well, we'll see. Bounding so is a higher point word. This one leaps from the glass with notes of raspberry preserves, kirsch, and potpourri, with touches of rose hips, cinnamon stick, and tar. Medium to full body with a lovely plush texture and tons of spicy red fruit. It finishes with a peppery lift. Yeah, no, that's the less. That's the lower range. You're still one. going with your bounding versus your bounds your, versus leaps. Yep. Well, that's a good call. 
So, so <laughs> how far apart do you think these wines were? Uh, seven points. Uh, six points. One's six a, points. One's a 94, one's an 88. Yeah, there you so go. So how is that 88 possibly an 88 compared to the 94? Other well, than because the, the 88 doesn't know how to bound. It only knows how to leap. You know, it's probably why I was never high jumper. And and here's and here's the, the, you know, one of them is immediate garnet purple color, whereas the second one is a deep garnet purple color. Oh, so the deep? Yeah. yeah. So the, the well, the, the purple color is, you know, they both have color. Yeah. Oh, they both, yes. They the, both have color. In the fact, color, color. In fact, all of these colors are colored. Yes. So uh, we just... This, this is a fun game. Yeah. I could play this all day uh, long. I'll bring in some more another time. Okay, uh, because the because it has nothing to do with what the actual words say. It has only to do with the the specific vocabulary. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's true. I mean, and when I was drawing this up and I, you and I talked before the show... I said, I know you're going to get these, but you're not going to. It's not. It has nothing to do with the quality. Nothing of Nothing to do yeah. with what they actually say about yeah. the wine. It's yeah. how they it, it's say absolutely it. Absolutely true, and it is just really kind of depressing. Yeah. Right. Oh, I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yes, except for if somebody's trying to get some help. Oh no no, yeah we've we've covered that many times before. If you want help from wine writers, you're barking up the wrong tree. Well, speaking of the by in- leaps and bounds. Yes. Well, speaking of the inability to get helps, we're now going to answer some questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, good. So you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, of course. And if you'd like to ask us a question, please go to rickandpaulwine.com or to our social. Uh, we are at Rick and Paul Wine, and look for us on iTunes. You can't ask us a question there, but you can review us. All right, so the first one comes from Suzanne in Danville. Okay. And she says, what's a growth? Well, <laughs> Rick, size. you should answer that I'm question. Think on my tush. <laughs> my tush is making it into all these shows. All right, so she says, what's a growth? One of my idiot snobby friends was bragging wow. about some wine. He said it was a second growth. I asked what it meant, and what he said didn't make sense, except the word France. <laughs> Does it have something to do with the grapes? <laughs> That's Not really. Not um, really. Yeah, Suzanne, this is actually a, it's a very funny question. Growth is just a term the French use to classify wines, and they start with no growth. And, well, then, and only one kind of wines. Well, sort and Bordeaux, of. And, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it's in Bordeaux, but you also you can have Grand Cru, and Cru means growth, so you can have Grand Cru wine in Burgundy. So True. okay, so growth is just a way of classifying the wines, and where this guy's talking about it because he mentions second growth in Bordeaux in 1855, they added up all the prices for all the chateaus for the previous ten years and decided the ones with the very highest prices of all would be first gross. Yeah. We we should talk about this more at another time. But what I love about this is like so these are this is the like the permanent classification right for <clears throat> wines from from one part of Bordeaux. Right. And it was all based on price. All based on price and done a hundred and sixty seventy years ago, eighteen fifty five. And so, and you know who, in the, and you know why? Because you know, because it was Napoleon was too confused by. Well, it was not, not Napoleon; it was his grandson. His Napoleon's grandson, Napoleon's grandson. who, who also happened to be named Napoleon. So it was Napoleon. Well, but but it was his. So yeah, it wasn't hey, the Napoleon. It wasn't the I'm one gonna, with his I'm hand. I'm going to argue for full points on that. It question. wasn't the hand, one with his hand in his shirt. <laughs> yes. In any case, Suzanne, we're, we're we're going the wrong direction for you. My apologies. So so first growth is the top. Second growth is next down. Third, fourth, and fifth are all still considered really good wines. And then below right. that, you have bourgeois, which still means pretty good. And then you don't have growths. Right. So the 
and you know, lots of the some of the really some of the most popular and considered some of the the best Bordeaux's um, are like second, third, fourth gross. Absolutely. Yeah, and so you know, if they see growth on a wine, that's but. You know, it's a it's a, it's a, not something a guy ought to be bragging about. Well, and the other thing is that on the bottle, you'll never see the word growth. No, of course not. Growth. You will yeah. only see crew. And basically, crew is, means that you're buying from a fairly expensive region. But other than that, yeah. Uh, if you see a growth on the bottle, however, uh, don't pick it up. No, especially if it has Rick's name on it. <laughs> <No. laughs> all right. Uh, this is from Mike in Granite Bay. Real simple question. Good, good one, though. Um, are all white wines fermented in steel tanks? No. No, but a lot of them. Most. Most of them are, but a lot of them, uh, a few of them are fermented in some really bizarre things. A few of them are barrel fermented. You'll yeah. see a Chardonnay that's barrel fermented. There are some very strange wines in Georgia that are fermented in in uh, ceramic uh, amphorae and things. But yeah, most. And, and cement and those cement eggs. Cement's a thing coming back into four. Yeah, but yeah. most white wines are fermented in stainless steel. For that matter, most red wines are fermented in stainless as well because it's really easy to clean. And when you're making wine, getting things clean is really, really important. And for white wines, that also generally means they can control the temperature of the fermentation. And well, for with, both. Yeah but, yeah. but white wines in particular where the, the uh, too hot fermentation, you can lose a lot of the delicate fruit. Uh, mm-hmm. Although it's true for red too. Uh, yeah. And so – and there's many, many reasons to do it. But, but fundamentally, the answer is yes, but not every single one. Not every single one, but a lot of them. But most of them, yes. All right. Yep. Well, that's a couple questions for now. Hey, we actually answered that one. Yay, us. Well, people would ask us simpler questions. (laughs) Come on, folks. No, no, we like to go. We haven't had a relationship question in a while. I hope that. uh, I I will look for one of those. I'm not sure if our star is waning on the relationship scene, Um, (laughs) but our star is waning on the question scene for the moment because even better is some, not that we haven't already had some, but some more really horrible wine writing. Excellent. All right, so, so we already went through some pretty horrific descriptions, well, they, or useless descriptions. Yeah. Um, so we thought we'd go after a different kind of horrible writing. And this is the sycophant writer asking questions of the dense yet self-important snob. Oh, one of our favorite categories. Absolutely. Okay. So um, so these come from, and you, you found this story. There's a magazine yeah, yeah, yeah. piece that you ran across, and I love this. Uh, Salme demystifies... The five things you always wondered about wine. Right. Now, first of all, we know from answering questions on this show that there are not five things people always wanted to know about wine. And I'm willing to bet that if we made our list of the questions people most often ask us, none of them are going to be on this well, list of the five things that guys Well, gonna... a couple of these won't be on anybody's <laughs> list. <laughs> so where do we start? Well, I also want to take a, this stupid wine. I hate the term demystifies. Hate it, uh-huh. hate it, hate it. Yeah. Because first off, the people who are mystifying it up are those are writers. Are the very people who are writing about it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just demystifies. doesn't help anything. It just, it's just like a, it's a cliche. And this is one of the things that makes wine writing so bad is right. that people describe things in cliches which right. have no power. Right. And, and so, so you've got the demystifying problem. And then the other one is – you know the five worst things, you, or the five things you the that you hate. The five things, right? Yeah, forget it. Yeah. Just just get on with life. Talk yeah. about what you know. Yep. Okay. All right. So here's uh, here's the first one. What is trilling? 
Let me spell the word. <laughs> T-R-I-L-L-I-N-G. I'm saying right now, that's the first time I'd ever seen that word. Okay, I've seen that word because well, well, a friend of mine used to play fruit, flute, and a trill yes! on a fruit is... Yes, <laughs> exactly right. So I asked some friends in the business. They'd never heard the word. No. I asked like a handful. I mean, like six or seven different people. And they'd never heard the word. Right. I went to the dictionary. Every definition is some version of the vibrating sound that you yes. just talked about. I went deep into the wine geekdom, and you could see that it's about sucking in air. Right. You know, that, may, right. that is. Who the, so this is a question that everybody is walking around. So we're going to invent a term, and then we're going to tell people that, that they've this is been asking it, what it is. <laughs> Dear Lord. Yeah, this is this is creating your own story. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you know, it's and you know, people suck in air. You know, it's like it's like sw- it's a version of swirling a glass in your mouth. It's like gargling. You yeah. know, I mean, gargle with the wine, spit it on the floor. Thing is, works sort of fun when you're at a winery. Please don't do that yeah. when you're at Rick's house no. or my house. Well, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, unless, I and you know, so what it is, your your mouth is open, you're sucking in there. I remember reading one guy's uh, how to trill. It wasn't that. It was how to how to, how to, how to do this. But he said what you do is, you know, because you're sucking in air, which basically is the same thing as, as swirling your glass. You're adding oxygen to it. Right. right? Makes it just, So he says what you do is you open your mouth and uh, you suck in air, but you point your head down so that all the aromas will rise up, forgetting, of course, that you have liquid in your mouth and it's open. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that one at my house. <laughs> don't do that at anybody's house. But if you can yeah. find that guy who wrote it, go do it on his Trilling. red carpet. Yeah. This is good. That's all good. Right. So first of all, no one has ever asked that question. We've been doing the show five years. Nobody's I've been teaching reason. 25 years. I've... You've been in the business that long. Nobody has ever asked Never this question. And yet, this is one of the five things we it, always wondered about. It was wine. number two. Okay. All right. Number three was, and number one was actually something vaguely, uh, sort of something somebody might ask, but it just wasn't worth bringing up. Good. So here's another one: was um, is something that is just eating at people all the time. Yep. How can you tell if a wine is young or old? Well, you look at the label. That's what I would say. You yep. look at the label, yeah. and if it says vintage 1937, then it's old. And if it says vintage 2017, not so old. Yep. Yeah, and that's what that's what people always want to know because first off, they didn't know that there was a label on the wine. <laughs> well, and then the, 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 of course the other thing is this guy goes off on a tangent here because there is another way to find out whether the wine is old or or by the, he's talking about looking at the wine is it old? But, but his is an idiot way of his doing an it. idiot way of doing it because the way you do it is as a wine ages. It tends to turn from bright fruit colors to browner fruit colors. And it if happens it's a, at the rim, right? Right. And at white wines, it turns a little golden around the rim. And in red wines, it turns a little brick color around the rim. And look up any wine book, and they will tell you that's how you tell if a wine is young or old. Right. So what does this clown say? He says, take a look. At, just take a look in the glass. So far, so good. Yeah. If you can almost see your reflection... And the surface acts as a mirror. It's a youthful wine. As the wine starts to age, the surface will appear duller. Okay, once again, been around wine for a while, never heard that before. Never heard that one. No, and not true. And it's not true, right? Not true. Right. Not true. So, so like a, a really, a really thick wine. Unless this guy's drinking wines that have a slight film of of uh, mineral oil from the cork, or maybe he's just maybe he's talking salad dressing. <laughs> And you got oh, the I olive look, oil. I always look at the rim for the salad dressing, too. <laughs> yeah. no. No. This guy, so then here, here's, this is not a question that anybody would ask because they already know their answer. Right. Which is another one is, what is a dry wine? 
Yes, that's when your bottle is completely empty. Yes, yes. That's that's, that's when it's time to open a new bottle. What right. is a dry wine? Okay. So, so, what, what so we, in fact, what, for anyone who has a brain in the wine industry, a dry wine means a wine that is not sweet. Yes, yes. Clearly, simple. In fact, when you look at wines and they define them, they will even use the French terms sec means dry, and the opposite is du, which means sweet, or demi-sec, which means half dry. But I'm sure this guy's got some other plan. No, this guy says that is actually not what people mean. He specifically (laughs) says that. But he says what we really mean is does it have tannins? So apparently you can't have a dry white wine because white wines generally don't have tannins. Right. What if you have a sweet wine that's got tannins? Well, then you need a new wine expert because this clown's clearly getting on the wrong bus. This is, It's just, uh, dear Lord. You know, so like, uh, I mean, if somebody's got, the question somebody might ask is what is a dry wine? They might ask, is this wine dry? Is it dry? And right. in that case, there will then be. Then you got some options. Yes. And there'll also be <clears throat> right. some variation in opinion, right? So, right. Because, yeah. you know. But, well, in fact, the German classification, if there's more acidity in the wine, they allow you <clears throat> a little more sugar in the wine and still call it dry because that acidity still makes the flavor taste dry. Right. But to your point, vintage port. Has a ton of tannin. Yeah. It is not a dry wine. Absolutely, yeah. This. Oh. <sighs> okay. You know what? So, boy, so, he certainly demystified something. We did. He's well, made it very clear that he's an idiot. So, Paul, I'm a little ticked off. So, I think we need to change gears. And and what we need to do here is get to something that we love, including some stuff that we love. Ooh. I love you so. All right, so we've really been reaming some really horrible wine writers out there. But we love some wine writers, too. Yes, we do. So, Paul, you got a couple. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one guy because I just think he's absolutely magic. He actually even has a set of videos out about wine that are wonderful. He's a master of wine. He also writes gardening books. His name is Hugh Johnson. Um, he's an utterly wonderful, charming guy. And he writes about wine in such a logical and loving way easy to understand, clearly understands what's going on from the consumer's mind, great wine writer. And then on and the— really evocative, too. You read his stuff, you're really absolutely. interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, certainly notes for some of the old classics like Gerald Asher and Frank Pryle, who do the same thing. But somebody I'd like to give kudos for more recently is the wine writer for the San Francisco Chronicle— um, Esther Mobley, who mm-hmm. is a real journalist. Yes. She really does a lot of research, and she spends very little time talking about uh, what is dry wine and trilling, and she spends an awful lot of time trying to explain the world of wine to people who aren't inside it, and she does a pretty damn good job. Yeah, she's, she's writing to newspaper readers, not not geeks, and, and it's yep. not and, – and um, her, her agenda is be a good journalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I'm going to throw one into, and it's Karen McNeil. Uh, uh-huh. the, yep. the wine Bible is is her her calling card, but she's been around for a very long time, and I think she's somebody that really also makes wine really evocative. When she uh-huh. likes a wine, boy, you can see why she likes it. Yeah, uh, but she also like in the wine Bible this massive tome that tries to explain the entire wine world, and she'd be the first to tell you you can't do yep. everything. It's filled with stories. 
Right. She knows to tell right. stories yeah, about yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And yep. and one other thing about Karen and, and dear Lord, she was very kind to me when I was getting started. And and, and, she had, and dear Lord, she should have known better. You you needed it. I did, yep. but she should. And, you know, she's and, a smart woman. She should know better than that. Online, don't encourage me. Please. Online, a couple of people just to point out quickly. Um, uh, Sarah Schneider, who writes now for the Rob Report, and online. a charming person, a and a really of wonderful ours. person. Yes, so there are some really good people out yep. there, and God bless them. We yep. love them. Yes. So we are not talking about them, by the way, when we're making fun of these other people, because they don't do those things. Right. All right. Uh, uh, so, uh, so let's help out one or two more folks before we. Uh, I think we've been we finished doing damage. Today. Yeah. I, yes. Yes, we have. So we take a couple <laughs> more questions. Um, this one, uh, this is a good one. Um, and and so it, I need she, she this is a friend of mine actually who uh, we talked about this so I had I said email me this so I can use it on the show but also because so, I can read it so this is Leslie in Sacramento and she says I'm not sure if this is a question or a comment we were in a restaurant with a small kind of expensive wine list uh, for happy hour they had one white and none of the bartenders knew anything about it except the name and that it was Italian. They were all really nice, and they let me taste it, and I liked it, but it still felt odd that they had a wine on their pretty small list that they couldn't tell me about. Wondering your thoughts. By the way, the wine was Grichetto. Uh, I took a picture Grichetto. of it. Grichetto. Excuse Grichetto. It's an Italian wine. That CH is always a K. Uh, I took a picture of it. Like you guys say, though, I'm a little reluctant to admit that I follow your instructions. <laughs> well, I can see why. All right, so quickly to explain what Grichetto is, it's central Italy, it's nuts, it's fruit, it's, uh, it's a little citrus, actually, and it's often used as a blender or in Vinsanto, which is like a wine that ages, and the reason why is it's used for that is it doesn't get moldy. <laughs> so that's you know that's a wine the grapes sit for a very long time and then they dry out and then they press it. Um, so that's what Grichetto is and it's and it, you're not going to find a lot of it. No, but her real question is why when you only have a few wines on the list shouldn't the staff know something about them? Yeah. And there's no good answer to that question. Yeah. Now, did the staff handle it right? Yes. Sounds like it. Yeah. They said taste it. If you like it, have more. If you don't like it, we'll find something else. That's. But absolutely no excuse for people in the food and beverage industry to be serving customers and have a very small list and not know the only wine by the glass, that's just lazy. Yeah. It is um – you know, I hate to, I hate to ream them too much because they were so good with the nice part, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. and that's okay. But and they let her taste it, and so you know, there you go. But nonetheless, it is <clears throat> exactly right. It, among the things that um, we talk about a little bit that I used to do a lot of was when I was training restaurant staffs was right to train the people who didn't know about wine what to be able to say or to how to get help. Right. On a wine they couldn't help. So right. Because the reason is they sell more wine. Well, and the funny thing is, you know, they did offer her a taste and all the rest, but how hard would it have been? While one person is uh, says, I don't know, but I'll go find out. For goodness sake, you got a phone. Look it up on the phone and go yeah. back and tell her, look, I don't know very much about it, but it comes from Central Italy. It's called Grechetto, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and it's, it's not it, brain surgery. And this is this is the bar, this is bartender. This is the guy's pouring the wine. <laughs> if they didn't know the wine, they should have looked at it and, and called the psalm or whoever put it on right. the list and get it to. Yep. So, yeah. So, yep. you know, I mean, on the one hand, I like their spirit. But, but dear Lord, it, yeah. she's right. It is a little odd. <clears throat> be a professional. Yeah. Be a professional. A don't be an amateur. Yeah, yeah. All right, so one more question. Okay. Um, and this is, this is from uh, Ted, also in Sacramento. He said, what's the deal with barrel tasting? 
<laughs> it's kind of fun watching them sneak wine out of their stash. Uh, what am I supposed to know about after this? Yeah, after good question. One place tried to sell me what they called futures. Yep. It sounded like I was just buying wine and waiting for it. That's what you were doing. Exactly right. And the truth is that unless you've studied winemaking and have a lot of experience doing barrel tastings, doing barrel tastings can be kind of fun, but it's really difficult. I would say it's difficult for me to taste wine in barrel and tell you what it's going to taste like three to five years later when I'm going to drink it. I can tell that there was a barrel there. And and there was wine inside. Yes. And I can almost always tell whether it's a red or a white wine. Usually. Yeah. So sometimes I get confused. So, yeah. You, I mean, it you, looks red. <laughs> you are absolutely right that this is all sorts of fun and it feels really good. But the truth is, unless you are trained and have a lot of experience in how wines are likely to change in the first two and a half years of their life, doing a barrel tasting doesn't tell you very much. It's, it's like tasting a spaghetti sauce and the only thing in there is the tomatoes. Is the tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. trust me, it's going to be really good in two years. Buy it now. Yeah. Or at least 20 minutes in my house. We don't we don't cook for two years. <laughs> I just don't have that kind of patience to call <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, speaking of sp- patience, thank you for having the patience for uh, hanging around for a whole another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Here, here. Our producer is also the always patient uh, Devin Cartan. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin, also very patient. And thanks, speaking of patience, to Capital Public Radio for putting us on the lot, podcast lineup and letting us use your studios. Look for us uh, or ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter is Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that wine tasting notes can be fun if you play games with them. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Remember the best wines, the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.